Today we're considering one of the most significant passages in the Gospel of John. We're considering John 5, verses uh, 16 through 30. We see Jesus is, as I said, is asserting his divine authority. Right? I, wanna, I want you to really feel that from the text. You, you almost see God uh, just posturing in his divine authority. And so I want you to really be looking, looking, looking for that. Uh, and we see this in, in various aspects. Um, we, we see this in, in healing. This passage reveals to us uh, who Jesus is and the power he possesses. And so we, we live in a world that is filled with with chaos. I told you it's natural. It's natural. <laughs> we live in a world that is filled with uncertainty. And, and we can even say pain and, and difficulty. We often find ourselves searching for answers. Find ourselves searching for, for guidance and even hope. But in this passage, we find that Jesus have the authority to give us all these things. He is the one who can heal our brokenness. He can offer us eternal life. He can judge the world justly. And so, as we consider this passage, let us open our hearts to receive the truth that Jesus is revealing to us. May we come to a deeper understanding of who he is and the divine power he possesses, And may we be transformed by this truth as we submit ourselves to the authority of the Son. And so let us consider our word for this afternoon. John chapter 5 beginning at verse 16. Hear now the word of the living God. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Remember last week, he healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. So this is in reference to that. The Jews are concerned with why that is happening on the Sabbath. So that's where we're picking up. It says, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so they understand what he's doing. Verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing at his own accord, of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that 
he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the son raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son, just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, And believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming. And now here is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own accord. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The green grass fades, the flower falls, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we come humbly before your word. We pray that you would help us. Help us to understand what we ought to know about you. Help us to know how to apply your word to our lives. We pray that you would help us in areas we are weak. May your word strengthen us. May we come to know more about you and your authority and your power. We pray, Lord God, that your will would be done. We pray that you would transform us, change us, that we might better serve you and honor you. May you receive the glory and the praise that is due your name. Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on us, that we might approach your word, Lord, with respect and the due diligence it deserves. We pray that you would, you would help us, Lord, to discern the truth that are found therein. We pray for the one who do not know you, that today would be the day of salvation. 
We pray all these prayers in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. I've entitled today's sermon, The Authority and Power of the Son. I have four, point, four points to help us. Uh, for those of you who are taking notes, um, I have four points to, to guide uh, the message. And point number one is the Son is Lord of the Sabbath. You could say the Son is Lord over the Sabbath. Number two, the Son is equal with God. The Son is equal with God. Point number three, all judgment and authority has been given to the Son. All judgment and authority has been given to the Son. And finally, number four, the Son has life. The Son has life. So let's begin. The Son is Lord of the Sabbath. In verse number 16, the text says, And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things. The de- these things is the miracle that happened at the pool of Bethesda. It was the invalid that they are referring to, the man who was paralyzed for 38 years. And it's interesting that they're not concerned about how this amazing event happened, but rather they're concerned about the process, the procedure that you're doing this on a day that you're not supposed to be doing it on. And so they were persecuting him. It says, was doing these things on the Sabbath, the concept of the Sabbath is a day of rest and worship, but it evolved over time. It evolved over time in Jewish tradition. The Old Testament established the Sabbath as a day of rest, set apart as holy and distinct from all the other days in the week. The command to keep the Sabbath is included in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. And it was observed on the seventh day of the week, which is, help me, Saturday, right? Y'all supposed to be with me on that. That was, that was a toss-up, softball. <laughs> Uh, so, but, but, but during the intertestament period, you know what that is? That's the period between the Old and New Testament. The Sabbath gained a more legalistic tone, right? Jewish leaders created detailed rules and regulations for how to observe the Sabbath. And it included prohibitions on certain activities like Ladies, you couldn't cook. Fires couldn't be lit. Carrying objects outside of the home, all that was forbidden. These strict rules were meant to ensure that the Sabbath was kept holy and not profaned. So in in the New Testament, Jesus 
addressed and clarified the meaning of the Sabbath. He demonstrated that the Sabbath was not meant to be a burden or a strict legalistic observance, but rather a day of rest, worship, and compassion. The very thing our Lord did. So Jesus challenged the religious leaders of his time who had made the Sabbath a burden by their strict interpretation of the law. He taught that the Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it wasn't meant to be a burden. So it was permissible to do good on the Sabbath, such as healing the sick. The very thing he had done. He was showing compassion. And so turn with me to Matthew 12. Matthew 12. And here we're going to see an explanation of what the Sabbath is meant for. We see uh, this idea of compassion the Lord is showing and teaching. The text says he went on from there and entered the synagogue, their synagogue. And the man was there with the withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they may accuse him? He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would not take hold of it and lift it out? You can imagine crickets, right? Right there when he said that. Uh, Of how much more value is a man, right? Is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out and it and the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy, like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. The apostles also continued to observe the Sabbath, but with a new understanding of its meaning meaning in light of Jesus' teaching. The early church eventually shifted, shifted its primary day of worship from the Sabbath to Sunday, the day of Jesus', Jesus resurrection. We also understand this to be the Christian Sabbath. The concept of the Sabbath evolved over time from a holy day for God to a legalistic observance and finally to a day of rest, worship, and compassion as taught by the Lord. And so religious people at times are more concerned with 
keeping to their laws and traditions than the more weightier things of life. Jesus was doing good. He healed a man that was disabled. And this man had to be carried. He depended on others to take him places. So can you imagine being uh, paralyzed and not able to walk? To, to walk, that, that meant that he saw the negative looks that people had when he was lying there on his mat. He can feel the, the, the disgrace that people might have had as if he had the ability to get up by himself and do something about it. People can be mean. But, but Jesus was the remedy. Jesus was his answer to all of life's questions. That meant that Sabbath or not, Jesus chose to heal the man despite the naysayers because he is Lord of the Sabbath. So, as you know, that man was healed on the Sabbath by the Lord of the Sabbath. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute. And this verse describes the reaction of the Jewish leaders to Jesus healing the man, which they considered to be a violation of Sabbath law. And so this Verse also reveals a number of important lessons for us today. First, it highlights the danger of legalism. Legalism. The Jewish leaders were so focused on obeying the letter of the law that they missed the spirit of the law, which was to love and serve others. Then, Legalism can lead us to become rigid and judgmental and can cause us to lose sight of God's grace and compassion. Secondly, this verse reminds us that God's work is not limited to certain times or places. So, So the more we come under the sovereignty of God, we will begin seeing God work everywhere, not just on Sunday morning at the 12 o'clock hour. We'll begin to see him working in our families. We'll begin to see him working at school in relationship with friends. We'll begin to see God work everywhere. Because we understand that God is sovereign. Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath, which was a day of rest and worship for the Jewish people. However, Jesus demonstrated that God's work of healing and restoration can happen at any time and in any place, even on the day of rest. Thirdly, this verse teaches us about the importance of standing up for what is right. 
Even in the face of persecution, Jesus knew that healing the man on the Sabbath would anger the Jewish leaders, but he did it anyway. Because it was the right thing to do. And so sometimes we're going to find ourselves alone at times when we're doing the right thing. But if you look at the text, it reminds us that we're in good company because we're doing things that pleases the Lord. And so continue. We're reminded to continue to do good. We continue to do the right thing anyway. And as followers of Jesus, we should always be willing to stand up for what is right and true, even if it means facing opposition or persecution. The verse reminds us to examine our own hearts and motivations when we encounter something new and unfamiliar. Rather reaching with hostility and defensiveness. But notice how the Lord responded in verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. In this passage, we see Jesus being accused of breaking the Sabbath and his response reveals some important truths about his divine authority and his mission on earth. Remember, always keep in mind that when we're looking at the biblical text, Jesus is on mission. He's on mission. And so he doesn't lose focus of that. He doesn't lose focus on that. So firstly, Jesus argues that as the son of God, he has unquestionable holiness and sovereignty. This means that he has the power to make alterations to religious laws as he deems necessary. He also points to the example of his father's continuous work, even on the Sabbath, to support his argument that he too can work on the Sabbath to do good. But Jesus does not stop there. He emphasizes that he is the only, only one that is allowed to work, but that he is also working together with God in upholding and governing all of creation. By doing so, he sets himself apart as an uncontrollable governor and asserts his authority as Lord over the Sabbath. So what does this mean for us today? As followers of Christ, we can take comfort in the fact that we serve a God who is always at work. We don't serve a God who is lazy. Well, you got to wake him up. Or whether you're worrying uh, if he's doing something ab about your situation. You see, our theology matters. What we know and think about God affects how we're going to live. It affects how we're going to feel about what's happening to us. 
reminds us of our position in Christ. So we're reminded here, reminded here that God is always working. And so that means that we too can engage in acts of service and worship on the Sabbath without fear of breaking religious laws. We're free to do good. But more than that, we can also take inspiration from Christ's example of working together with God in upholding and governing all of creation. So that means as we go about our daily lives, we can strive to be co-laborers with God. Do you see yourself like that? As you wake up in the morning being a co-laborer with God? working out the plans of God, being a part of his created order. That's how we ought to think. We're co-laborers with God, seeking to do good and to serve others in a way that brings glory to God. We must be intentional. That means we watch what we say. Why? Because we're co-laborers with God. We don't want people to misunderstand who we serve. We must help them to know that we're in an allegiance with God. So we are working with God so that we can bring about good. This passage reveals some important truths about Christ's divine authority and his mission on earth. It also challenges us to live our lives in a way that honors God and reflects the example that Christ has given us. That means that we must have a mind to work together. Are we intentional? See, it's easy to walk away and do nothing. Or it's easy to not want to deal with somebody else. It's easy for us to not want to work with somebody else because we don't like something about them. That's easy. But God is calling us up. He's calling us up because he did that for us. How we can be difficult, how we can be disobedient, how we can let him down over and over again. But yet he still loves us. Yet he's still kind to us. Yet he continues to pour out blessings upon us. How much more should we be his disciples and do the same thing? We ought to be moved to do the will of God, to do the work of God. Lord, what would you have me to do today? And you know what he might say? I need you to take one for the team. Right? I need you to do something hard for me. On this one, you would be talked about. On this one, you're not going to feel comfortable. On this one, it will not be easy. God is calling us up so that we might honor him and do good. Next, the son is equal with God. Verse 18, the text says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more 
to kill him. You see the progress there? Uh, They went from persecution to killing him. Right? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, and this is what kind of took them over the top. Right? He had already communicated to them that he's God, that he's Lord over the Sabbath, and he can do whatever he want to do, right? But he's going he gonna, to he gonna take it a little further. But he was even calling himself, even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. And so in this passage, Jesus is being accused of breaking the Sabbath by the religious leaders. And for that reason, they want to kill him. He defends himself by saying that he is doing the work of his father and his and his father who works every day and is always governing and upholding all of creation. And then he asserts that as the son of God, he has divine authorities to make adjustments, including the Sabbath. The the religious leaders lost it. They, they lost it because they knew what he was saying. The religious leaders took offense at Jesus claiming to be equal with God, but Jesus argues that he is one with the Father in all that he does as the mediator between God and all humanity. It's as if God says, I'm all you got. How can we deepen our relationship with God and become more united with him? As Jesus describes in John 5, 19, how can we we do that? We can deepen our relationship with God by spending time in prayer and studying his word. We should ask God to reveal to us his will and to guide us in everything that we do. We can also seek to align our will with his will and to be obedient to his commands just as Jesus did with the Father. We saw him as a young man, and they were looking for him. And what was was he doing? He told his parents that I must be about my father's business. That's a, a mentality we have to nurture and have to learn and have to grow in. Jesus was obedient to the father, and we must do the same. Then verses 20 and 21, Jesus um, says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. 
Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives life and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. So you see the son is showing that he's equal with God. And the Lord explains that he has the authority to raise the dead and give life just as the father does. And he can do this at his own discretion. So by claiming this power, Jesus is demonstrating he is equal with God in his sovereignty and divine authority. This passage teaches us about the power and authority of Jesus as the Son of God and mediator between God and humanity. It also highlights the opposition and the hostility that Jesus faced from the religious leaders who were threatened by his teachings and claim to divine authority. And so as Christians, we're called to follow Jesus and submit to his authority, even when it challenges our own beliefs and traditions. We can trust in Jesus' power to bring life and resurrection, and we can rest in his sovereignty over all creation. The statement, the son is equal with the father, is a theological concept that is rooted in the Christian doctrine and also the doctrine of the Trinity. It means that Jesus, who is referred to as the Son, is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. In John eight sixteen and 17 and 10, Jesus speaks about his relationship with the Father and his mission to do the Father's will, indicating a shared purpose and authority between the two, Father and Son. In John 14 and 9, Jesus tells his disciples that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, again, suggesting a unity and a equality between God the Father and God the Son. Additionally, the letters of Paul to the Philippians and Colossians emphasize the divinity of Christ with Philippians 2 and 6, stating that Jesus, being in the very nature of God, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Colossians 2 and 9 similarly declares that in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. It's as if God is bolstering and saying, I am God. Right? The Son is equal with the Father in the Trinity where God exists as three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit who are all co-equal co-eternal, and united in one divine, one divine being. 
Next, all judgment and authority has been given to the son. Verse 22, the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. In John 5, 22, the focus shifts to the implications of the son's dependence on the father. The son's absolute dependence means that the decision-making process or evaluation has been given to him. As a result, the father does not need to judge because they are always on the same page. The basis for judgment is belief in the son as suggested in verse 18. And so Jesus Asserts here that the father has given all judgment to the son, which means that he's stating his deity. This is because in Jewish and Christian tradition, the judgment of all humanity is considered exclusive. It is a prerogative that only God has. We see that in Genesis 18 and 25, when Abraham asked God, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Similarly, in Judges eleven twenty seven, Jephthah says, the Lord, the judge, decide this day between the people of Israel and the people of Ammon by claiming that the father has given him the authority to judge, Jesus is claiming to have that same divine authority that the Father had, which means he is God. This verse has application for us today because it reminds us that Jesus is not just a human teacher, a prophet, but that he is divine and has the authority to judge us. We are called to acknowledge his authority. We're not to allow people to try to diminish our God. We must correct them when they speak about our Lord. We can take them to the biblical text, text and show them how Jesus is Lord. And so this verse encourages us to continue to promote his authority. But we're also to submit to his judgment, recognizing that he is the only way to salvation and eternal life. And in verse 23, he says that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Again, he's bolstering his deity. It's as if he said, we are the same. I receive honor like the father. Right? That all may honor the son. Just as they honor the Father. Sounds like equality to me. Right? It's right there in the text. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. In other words, you can't disconnect God. You must worship the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, the reason judgment is given to the son is so that all people might properly recognize and honor the son 
just as the Father. So this emphasizes the clear unity of the Father and the Son. Failure to give proper respect or honor to the Son means a failure to respect and honor the Father as the Son. And so it shows the authenticity of true worship. Right. Because the son is the authentic agent of the father and he should be treated that way. So in, in this verse, Jesus goes further in establishing his divine authority by claiming the right to be honored and worship just like the father. That's why he says all may honor the son just as they honor the father. How do we honor the father? We worship him. Right. So if we're going to say we honor the Father and we worship the Father, we must also honor the Son and worship the Son. This is a clear claim to deity as the only being who is worthy of worship in Jewish and Christian tradition and God himself. So when people ask about why Jesus is the only way and why we believe the way we believe, we can point them to this verse and explain that we say what Jesus said. We believe what Jesus says we ought to believe. If you have a problem with that, take it up with him. Right? Because that's who they have the problem with. We're just saying we agree with him. Right? God said this. We believe that. So your problem is not with me. Your problem is with God. Moreover, Jesus states that Anyone who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. That means that recognizing Jesus as the son of God and worshiping him is necessary for truly knowing and worshiping God. In other words, you can't have missing pieces. You must worship the true and living God. And he have revealed himself. He have made it known on who he is. So Jesus is is making that point. Jesus is, is asserting that religions such as Judaism and Islam, who do not acknowledge his divinity, do not represent the truth about God. And so, no, we all don't worship the same God. Because Jesus has made it clear in his word that if you have missing pieces, you're worshiping Somebody else, but it's not God. Next, the son has life. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So Jesus declares that whoever believes in him has eternal life. Uh, this is a powerful statement because it means that the moment we believe in Jesus, we are already experiencing eternal life. It's just like when a child is born, that child is beginning to experience death. 
because as we are born, we are approaching death. We may be a little bit far off, God willing. We don't know. But the process has started. We begin to feel it in our bodies as we get older. We are approaching death. But the believer is able to have confidence because we've experienced life. We experience life in the sun. And so <clears throat> we're already experiencing eternal life in a significant way. <clears throat> this assurance should give us confidence as we face the last judgment. The promise of eternal life is not just for some distant future, but it is a present reality for those who believe in Jesus. This verse emphasizes the present possession of eternal life for those who believe in Jesus. This eternal life begins immediately and provides believers with confidence to face the last judgment. In other words, when you come into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about the end. The Lord have already fixed that so that those who believe in him would be with him. Those who do not believe in him would be separated. You remember when he was on the cross, that thief, having done no work, which proves that we can't earn our way into the kingdom of God because he had nothing to offer. It was only by his profession. It was only by his faith that the Lord Jesus said, this day you shall be with me in paradise. Right? Boom, faith happened. He believed. The Lord said, you're in your family forever. That's what we got. The process have already started. Eternal life have already started. We're just waiting for the transition. Right? We're waiting to put this thing off and to put on a new body that doesn't have arthritis, that doesn't have pain and, and doesn't have cancer and migraine and all of the ills of this world. We're ready to put it off. So you got to prepare for the party. Right? We have to get ready. We have to have expectations. We're not to live moping as if we don't have hope. We're not those kinds of people. We're on mission. We're looking forward to what God is doing. And so we're called to do just that. We're called to put our faith in Jesus and receive eternal life. We can live our lives with the confidence that we have in eternal life, and we can face the future with hope. Next, verse 25 says, Truly, truly, I say that you, an hour is coming, and now here, and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Waiting for transition. In verse 25, Jesus emphasized that the hour is now here, and those who hear his message and believe, even though they were spiritually dead, will experience eternal life. 
You know what that means? That means that regardless of our past, we can have a new life through faith in Jesus. We don't have to wait until we die physically to experience eternal life because it starts when we believe. In other words, um, Jesus highlights the present reality and experience of eternal life, indicating that the hour is now here. Right? We are called to live each day with the understanding that we have eternal life in Christ, and that is our present day reality, not just for a future hope. So we don't just look forward to it, but we live in that reality right now because of who we are in Christ. We are participants. We're not standing on the sideline. We are in the game. We are pushing towards the goalpost. We are running so that we might run through the tape. And then God will say, it is well, thy good and faithful servant come up a little higher into the presence of our God. So we have this hope. We have this comfort. And so that, that means that we can, we can live in the power that Jesus has given us. We're not to live on our own. Right? The scripture reminds us that we're, we were dead in trespasses and in sin. So someone who is spiritually dead, they cannot give themselves life. We were all that. But this, word, this verse explains why the voice of Jesus is able to speak to dead people and grant them life. This is because Jesus has life in himself. Just as, as the Father has life in himself, the Lord Jesus has life in himself. Just as the Father has life in himself, we are called to put our faith in Jesus who has the power to bring us from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's why in order for us to do anything with God, we must first believe. Verse 27 and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Jesus is identified as the son of man who has been given authority by the father to judge all humanity. This is a reference to Daniel seven thirteen and 14 which speaks of the Son of Man as the eternal world ruler who will come to judge all nations. Jesus is not only the divine Son of God, but also the truly human Son of Man, which means he has the authority to judge every human being. That's why the Lord Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man who has been given authority by the Father to carry out the final judgment on every human being. It's our duty to recognize Jesus 
As such, we are called to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of Man and put our faith in him, knowing that he will be the one to judge us at the end. Isn't that interesting? The one you would reject. The one you would disbelieve in will be the one who judges you. He will either say, come unto me, or he will say, depart from me. So everyone in here would have made a decision. The question is, are you safe? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to the Father except through him. What do you believe? Do you believe him? Is he really Lord? Is he crazy? Is he a lunatic? Or was he lying? There's no wiggle room. We either believe or we do not. And so I hope that no one leaves here without being safe. And the only, one, only way one can be safe is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, making him your Lord and your Savior. He has the authority to give life. We must come to him. So we're called to acknowledge Jesus as the Son of Man and put our faith in him knowing that he will judge us at the end. Verse 28 and 29 says, Do not marvel at this. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. We were just talking about that. It's based on what you believe. The only way, the only way you can receive uh, resurrection life is by what the son has, did, has done on your behalf. That means his righteousness has to be transferred to us so that we might believe and be in the good with God. But if we do not have the son then we will be facing the resurrection of judgment and God will give us every bit of what we deserve. Why? Because God is just. And he will give everyone everything that they deserve from conception to the grave, everything that you have done, the books will be open and they will know from the, God will know from the beginning to the, to the end, everything that we have done. You can try to get in on your own merit, but the evidence against you is heavy. Every lie that you ever told, every thought, every wrongdoing that you've ever done is in the divine books, in the divine courtroom, and the divine judge will one day judge you on the basis of your merit, and you will either be in or out. The problem is, is that his method and his standard is perfection. 
Don't miss one iota. Because that's grounds for disqualification. Or here's the beautiful thing. Everybody can smile. That's the bad news. The good news is that the Lord Jesus Christ has provided a righteousness for you. And the Father is willing to accept that righteousness so that you can become children of God on the basis of what the Son has done for you. It's a gift. And all you have to do is believe. I'm not asking you to work for it or do anything. Believe, put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved immediately. That's what the book says. I get it. I'm sorry. I got excited. I, I love the gospel, and I love when people come to Christ because it reminds me of the moment I came to know Christ. Right? It's almost as if when you hear somebody else's story, it's as if you're being born again at that very moment. You're able to remember that God is good. So we're called to live our lives in a way that demonstrates our faith in Jesus, knowing that our good works are not the means to our salvation, but they are the evidence of our true faith and will be rewarded with eternal life. We did not earn this salvation, but our lives confirm that reality. That's why we're here. There is something that we are sharing that we will give time out of our day so that we might be here together. Right? We're sharing this morning. We are children of the Most High God. And so there are things we recognize, and that's why we're here. And we're called to demonstrate our faith. And that's what we're doing. We ought to feel bad when we're not here. It shouldn't be a thing that we're comfortable with. Because we know that God says that we're not to forsake the fellowship of the assembly of ourselves together. We ought not to feel good about missing. We ought to be like, man, I can't wait to get back. (laughs) But see, that comes with our theology changing about the people around us and being children of the most high God and loving them despite themselves. God wants us to press into one another with love and compassion and grace. He wants his children to look like him. So we can ensure that our faith produces good works by seeking to serve and to love others as Jesus did. We should ask God to give us opportunities to share his love with others to use our gifts and talents to bless those around us, we can also examine our lives regularly and ask God to reveal areas where we need to grow and improve. No one's here is as strong as they ought to be. Right? So that means we have areas of growth. Lastly, the Lord, the Lord states, oh, I went terribly long. The Lord states, I can do nothing on my own as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So, even though the son has all this authority, all this power, all this ability, he's not taking it all for himself. He is in 
unity in connection with the Father, he recognizes it publicly. And that's what we must do as well. He says, shows his dependence upon the Father and the unity between the Father and the Son. He shows it. I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So in verse 30, Jesus declares that he can do nothing on his own, but only does what the Father has taught him. This is a reminder that Jesus' authority and power come from the Father, and his actions are always in accordance with the Father's will. This should encourage us to seek God's will. If the Son is willing to seek the Father's will, who has all power, all authority, and who knows all things, but is willing to trust the Father, to do the works of the Father. How much more should we do God's will, seek God's will for our lives, rely on his strength to accomplish his purpose within us? So how can we overcome legalism in our own lives and prioritize compassion and mercy as Jesus did? One way, To overcome legalism is to remember that God values people over rules and regulations. God is more concerned about people than procedures. He's more concerned about how we are to work together. And so we should seek to understand and to prioritize the needs of others more than ourselves. And so we can ask God to give us a heart of compassion and to help us to see people in a way that he sees them. See, we don't want to see people in the way we see them. We're going to find something. Look at that mole on her face. (laughs) Why are you so weak? Why does he wear his pants like that? Right, just just something. People people are gonna find something that they don't like as if they're the standard. So we're to continue to ask God to help us to see people like He sees them. Seeing people as the Imago Day, made in the image of God. That changes everything when you go out to share the gospel and the witness. That's a, a coming alongside of people to give them something good. What a privilege. What a privilege. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. May we leave here changed people. Doing all of that, that will bring glory and honor to your name. We ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.